Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for tuning in to Shine On. Today, the F word and LSD. I know, I can't believe it. I used to be such a nice girl. Let's start with the drugs and then work our way into the salty language. Truth be told, this is a life-saving topic. Taking tiny doses of LSD to help with serious depression. Ayelet Waldman wrote the book, A Really Good Day. What do we need to know about you, Ayelet? I am not a person who's ever taken LSD, like in a trip. I've never seen Lucy in the sky with diamonds. The door, the doors of perception have not cracked open for me. Microdosing is taking a small dose of a drug, in my case, LSD, uh, a one-tenth of a dose, a dose so small that it doesn't cause any per- perceptual effects, but it acts on a molecular level in the way, for example, that Zoloft or Prozac or, you know, any one of another other medications, SSRIs and others, act on a molecular level. Okay, so how is this okay? Like, where do you get it and what's it all about? Well, it's not, I mean, it's a question of how you define okay. It's not legal, if that's what you're asking. So, you know, this is kind of the epitome of don't try this at home, kids. This is, it is a crime. And I will say that the only reason I was willing to break the law, I'm a very law-abiding citizen. You know, I, I, I'm the person who returns the change if she gets too much in the grocery store. But um, I, I, unlike some, pay all my taxes in full every year. But the reason that I was willing to try this was that I was in a terrible, terrible place. I have a mood disorder, and I was profoundly depressed. I was suicidal. And I was doing things like Googling the effects of maternal suicide on children. And um, I was really, really afraid for my life. I was afraid that I would destroy my life. I would destroy my relationships. I would destroy my marriage. And um, I was desperate enough to try something that seemed crazy, but that other people had been reporting had been almost miraculous. And I have to say that in my case, it ended my depression. It catalyzed a real change in my moods. It's, it is no exaggeration. You know, the subtitle of the book is, um, it made a mega difference in my mood, my marriage, and my life. And it really, really did. We're talking to Ayelet Waldman. You were once a federal public defender. You taught at law school at Loyola yes, and I did. Berkeley. You've had success with novels, and, and you were suicidal. Yep. I mean, you know, that's the thing about mental illness. There's so much stigma associated with mental illness. I mean, we think of someone with mental illness as, you know, the lady in where, you know, wearing a garbage bag in the middle of the street. And, and yes, we have people like that who are suffering terribly and who we need to take care of. But there are a lot of people with mental illness who are like me, who are really functional, who are, you know, dare I say successful, but who are in pain. I've been hearing from a lot of them. And we don't do a good job either of destigmatizing mental illness or of helping those people. You know, it is more shameful for people to admit to uh, all sorts of things. You know, I've had people come up to my readings and very confidently and happily tell me they have used illegal drugs. And I have people come up to me at my readings and secretly whisper in my ear that they have a mental illness. I mean, the idea that 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 is more stigmatizing, you know, the latter is more stigmatizing than the former, that's just terrible. We're talking to Ayelet Waldman, the book, A Really Good Day, How Microdosing Made a Mega Difference in My Mood, My Marriage, and My Life. And the first line in the prologue is, this morning I took LSD. How often do you have to microdose? So the 
protocol developed by um, the, uh, a man named Jim Fadiman, who in the 1960s was at Stanford and was doing uh, research into LSD and creativity. There was a lot of research going on about into LSD in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. The protocol developed by Jim Fadiman is a sort of three-day cycle. On day one, you take a microdose, a very tiny dose. On day two, you don't. On day three, you don't. And then you start the cycle all over again. Um, so I w- I, that's what I did for a month. I, did, I took 10 microdoses spread out over a month, and um, the results were remarkable. I mean, you know, it wasn't like every day was perfect. I wasn't tripping around Miss Happy. I was still my cynical, sour self. You know, mm-hmm. I was still making dark jokes and, and, uh, and so, you know, getting into arguments with my husband. But I wasn't thinking about killing myself anymore. I wasn't miserable to be around. I wasn't a horrible, uh, gloomy, you know, screaming person. I wasn't a harpy. I was just your basic B, as my kids like to say. Your basic B. You know, years ago, I was diagnosed with depression and I had to go on uh, medication. And I remember the day that the pills or whatever took effect. I can tell you, I was driving on the road and the scene is so etched in my mind where I physically felt something lift from me. And I cried and I said, oh, this is what it feels like to be me. I remember. Exactly. You know, people always say taking a medication, whether it's a microdose of LSD or an SSRI, that it's like, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to be someone else. I don't want it to change my personality. But that's not what I felt. I felt like the thing that was keeping me from being me, that heavy weight that was preventing me from being myself, just got lifted off me like this awful weight on my shoulders. It's, you know, it's a profound experience. I, in my case, I looked out my window and my dogwood tree was blooming and I thought, oh, look how pretty the blossoms are. And it was the first time I'd noticed anything pretty in a really long time. Right, right. Because when your head's not right, you can't find beauty. And finding beauty is what it's all about. So now what do we do? Where do we go from here? I- well, I'm not continuing on the path. I am not using it because it's a crime. So as soon as my depression lifted at the end of the month, I stopped using it because I don't feel comfortable breaking the law. There are a lot of people who do and whose pain is so intense that they're going to keep doing it. But the work that I decided to do was to be public about it, to not continue in secret, but rather to be a voice for you know, for change, to say, hey, take a look at this, study this. That's all. I'm not saying go out and use this drug. I'm saying to the government, let there be more research. We, we know now, because studies are going on at NYU, Johns Hopkins, UCLA, in London at Imperial College, that psychedelic drugs are very, very useful in alleviating depression and anxiety. So let's do more research. Let's see if we can figure out a dose that is manageable in the day-to-day, but that can help people. Um, And my book is part of that. And, you know, one of the gifts that I have, I think, is that I can talk about serious issues like this and also be kind of funny. So this this book is, is... it, you know, it talks about the war on drugs, it talks about psychedelics, it talks about depression, but it's also a pretty funny book. Yeah. Ayelet Waldman, that's her name. I got to put you on the spot and ask you a tough one before I let you go. Okay. Can you talk to the people right now who are listening and feel depressed, suicidal? So... I've spoken to a lot of people in a lot of pain. And the most important thing that I can say right now is if you are in a dangerous place, if you are in the place that I was in, you have to get help. Because that voice that's in your head that tells you you're worthless, that voice that's in your head that tells you that the world would be better off without you, that voice is lying to you. That voice is not true. 
So go seek out some pain, whether it's dialing into a suicide hotline or going to someone you love or going to a, a psychiatrist. Right now, that's the most important thing you do. And then start looking. Look for the treatment that will make you feel better. Go to your doctor. Do your research online. Do the work that you know you can do to make yourself feel better. And, and I did it. I made myself feel better, and I know you can too. I have lots of resources on my website, ayelatwaldman.com. Please look on my website, find resources that will help you feel better. And, and I promise you, there is light at the end of this tunnel. Ayelet Waldman, A-Y-E-L-E-T, W-A-L-D-M-A-N. The book is a really good day. And if you'd like to be entered in the drawing to win a copy, email me, kcradio at gmail.com. Microdosing, never heard of that before. Or this, a father-daughter, psychiatrist-comedian, writing duo. Irreverence and good advice run in the family. How did they come to write two self-help books? I've never quite been able to figure it out. We were just having a conversation over many years. She knew that I really think my best conversations with patients are funny and confrontational and that I think comedy in general is therapeutic for everybody when it's funny and confrontational. And there was a writer's strike, and she had some time. So she said, let's try to write some advice together. And after a few years of doing that on our advice website, we thought we could do a book. And the book was F Feelings. So what does that mean, F Feelings? It means there are more important things than feelings. And that when people come to a shrink for advice, they really think that getting into their feelings and understanding them and expressing them is going to solve their problems. And usually that's just not the case. Um, becomes obvious pretty quick. So I'm uh, greeting relatively new patients by saying uh, the equivalent of forget your feelings. What is it here that you think is going to change? Right. And what do you have to do about it? It's more important what your values are and that you accept reality the way it is. Right. And not let your feelings ruin your day. Not let them control your decisions, make you discouraged or demoralized. You have a right to feel really bad. Something's going wrong. But now what are you going to do about it? It isn't your fault. Life is like that. What are we going to do? Right. It's both, uh, you know, a bring down and a pep talk. But it's just based on common sense and reality. And the new book, it's beautiful. It's red. And the title is F Love. And it's got a beautiful yellow flower where the you would be in that first uh, word. Sarah, has your father's advice helped your love life? Um, yeah, especially, uh, you know, when I was younger, his advice in general, you know, as a teenager, uh, would always annoy me because especially for teenagers, you know, you control so little of your day-to-day. -day. You are in school. School determines where you are every hour after school. You have lots of things planned. You have you know, tests on the weekends, and uh, the only thing you can sometimes think that you control are your own feelings. And so when, as an adolescent, I was told, but those are just feelings, those are dumb, that would be enough for me to be like, oh, bad, you know, and not want to hear it. But as an adult, especially having been through, you know, my own set of bad relationships and good ones, just the advice of, you know, trusting your own experience and remembering that when you meet uh, new people, 
when you find yourself falling for someone. You know, it's not advice that makes you cringe when hearing it from a parent. It's not advice that now makes me roll my eyes because I'm not a teenager. <laughs> and I think it's it's useful for anyone. F. Love the book. Father and daughter have written this together. Dr. Michael Bennett and his daughter Sarah. Um, what I love about this book and what I think everyone loves about your books in general is that it's spoken in a language like you would share with your best friend. You can really speak without being boring. Yeah. Uh, I hope in an office I'm not entirely boring, but thank goodness she wrote this with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that, you know, you say things like truth and BS, and also that a-hole, is that a clinical term? It is in our use. We really think that there are bad people or people who, you know, without intending to be, are not going to do you any good. And that's life. It isn't a matter of their choice. It's the world is tough. And it's your job and my job to be aware of that, accept it, and watch out for it and not walk right into it and then complain about it. My father always says that people like that, uh, everyone around them says, oh, if only they'd go to a shrink, they'd realize how self they are and how cruel they are. They don't go to shrinks. In their minds, they're the only innocent person on earth. They're the ultimate victim. But they create a lot of business for my father and everyone else in his field. Yes, yes, they do. And we're thankful. And we're grateful for that. (laughs) We're grateful for that. All right, the book F. Love, One Shrinks, Sensible Advice for Finding a Lasting Relationship. But in this book, you say F. Beauty and F. Communication and F so many things, what should we not F? Well, we're not down on those things. They're all things that can attract you. And many people say, gee, if I have that, I have a good relationship. We're saying, no, you don't. You've got a quality that could be good, could be bad, could be both. It's up to you to evaluate it. Unless you go ahead and really uh, look hard at whether this is a good, reliable person or not, that uh, attractive quality could be your undoing. Yeah, in the same way we think that having romantic feelings for someone are important. You know, we write about how you can't really force yourself to be with someone you want to be with, but you don't really have a spark with. You'll just end up resenting them and and resenting yourself, and it will be unpleasant in the long run. But you can't let love guide you completely, because it will lead you to very silly, bad, dangerous places. You need to take a break, say, yes, okay, I feel very strongly about this person, but do they have any of the traits necessary to be a good partner, to be within the long term? If you're really looking for a marriage, if you're looking for someone to raise a family with, uh, love is not enough. So, uh, you know, we've been asked, well, do 18-year-olds care about these things? Hopefully they're not thinking of marriage. Hopefully they're figuring out what they want from somebody. But once you've sort of been with, you know, you've dated around, you've learned from probably some pretty tough experiences, it's now time to realize that love is nice, but it is very easy to fall in love with someone. It's hard to stay with someone. And so don't let love blind you to what's most important. Right. So don't let love alone lead you down a crazy path. Got it. Exactly. Got it. Got it. All right. So what would you say is the number one thing to look for when you're looking for that love relationship? We're advocates that you you use the common sense that you be your own matchmaker. And uh, what what would a good matchmaker look for? Uh, They look for somebody who's reliable, has a good track record of long-lasting relationships, doesn't get too sensitive, doesn't ditch their old friends, works as hard as you do, uh, 
wants the same things in life, is decent, handles money okay. Uh, if you want children, they better want children. Uh, that it's only, you know, five or six things uh, that if you don't have them, they're, it's just not going to work. And you know that usually after you've had a few relationships. Dr. Michael Bennett, who with his daughter Sarah has written F Love, One Shrink's Sensible Advice for Finding a Lasting Relationship. Want a copy? Let me know. I won't tell anybody. And finally today, meet Holly Bach, an expert in human dynamics who says success comes from creating a meaningful connection first with ourselves. Yes, it involves a lot of risk, so it's not necessarily for the faint of heart, but you you know, when you look at the re- top five regrets of the dying, that is the number one regret. I didn't leave, live true to myself, so I am trying to make sure I cross that one off the list when it's all said and done. What brought you to this point? Well, I used to be a CEO of a leadership company that trained people in the art and skill of conversation, really finding a way uh, for leaders and employees to create deep and meaningful connection with one another, because how teams operate really you know, impacts the bottom line quite a bit. But when I was out there on the road having conversations and reading more and more articles, what I began to find is that not only do we struggle with getting out from behind technology and looking into someone's eyes and, and being vulnerable in that way and creating those strong connections, we also are really lacking the ability to do that with ourselves. We've come untethered, unanchored from ourselves. I think of it uh, as a tree. Uh, a lot of us, you know, are, are living with our roots um, up in the air, but don't necessarily know it. Uh, we just have these nerve endings exposed, and we're very reactive. So as I started to see that, and also see statistics uh, from last year that we as Americans are the most in-debt, medicated, obese and addicted than we've ever been, I began to put those two things together, thinking there must be some correlation here. Wow. Americans are at their highest level of debt, uh, medication, obesity, and what was the other one? Addiction. Addiction. That's right. God so bless we, America. We are, we're, yeah, and we're employing a lot of strategies, and it makes sense. I mean, with, with the uptime of technology and how we can order something and it'll be delivered sometimes the same day, we've become a quick-fix nation. So we are looking to resolve our issues that are really deep-seated working from the outside in. Like, yeah. if, I, if I take this pill, if I eat this, or if I do this and go for that, that really quick fix, then I'll feel better when we'll we need to do is work from the inside out. So when you say people are very reactive, that's what you mean. They want the quick fix. That's right. We do. Okay. We, we become a nation of consumers and, you know, we want it today. We want it now. So why not apply this to our own life? Unfortunately, even technology and consumerism has its limits. Right. And you said right away, this isn't for the faint of heart. It involves its risks because my first reaction was someone who writes a practical guide to wholehearted living is a very brave person. And and I'm kind of brave, but I don't think I could say I am living wholeheartedly all of the time. Let me just say that I don't believe in, you know, all or nothing. The the intention of the book and, and the way in which I live my life and I encourage others is that it's a heck of a lot better method than continuing to persist in a life that is stressing you out, 
that is that is creating difficulty in your relationships with others because you're so reactive. Uh, you don't feel great about yourself. You're you're trying to find self worth everywhere else but within you. It's a much better alternative, and it isn't to say that you are quote unquote on the horse, you know, twenty four seven. That's unrealistic. It's as unrealistic as trying to achieve this so called fantasy of work life balance. Uh, you know, but what we can do is we can be intentional about our lives and aware of when we are making a compromise. And it's just that awareness alone that puts a little sand in our shoes that, you know, while I may have a lot going on in other areas of my life, I'm going to get to that someday because at least I'm aware of it. I think a lot of us are just walking around blindly and a bit frantically, honestly. Okay. So where do we begin, Hallie? Where do we start? How, what's the first step we could take right now today to lean into a more wholehearted life? There's a few sort of ground level ways that we can do that. The first is to pick up a gratitude practice. And I know we hear about this a lot, but it really is, it is one of the key practices that everyone who describes themselves as as happy and fulfilled says is part of their daily routine. And, And what this does, when we take the time each day to write down three to 10 things um, that we are grateful for, including why we're grateful for, what the impact it's having on us, what it's delivering to us, then in an essence, it tunes us to positivity. Our radar starts to go up and, and those neural pathways, we can begin to shift from perhaps a negative bias, uh, which I suffer from. I tend to look for the problem or the issue as opposed to what's working well. We can actually, within 21 days, change our neural pathways through the art of, of gratitude and being consistent with that. Pretty soon, we'll begin to notice what's working. We'll invite more of that into our life in conscious and subconscious ways. And we'll just begin to see and notice what makes us you know, happy and fulfilled more often. So that's number one. And the second, I... It's to pick up a mindfulness practice. And this isn't to say that you need to spend 20 minutes on a cushion. It could be a five-minute walking meditation. Uh, And really, mindfulness is just an opportunity to be alert and aware of what's going on within you without over-identifying with it. I think of Viktor Frankl's quote, a very powerful quote. In it, he said, between the stimulus and response, there is a space. Therein lies your power. And I often think of mindfulness as that wedge that we can use to drive and create space between that stimulus so that instead of being reactive, Um, Again, being those nerve endings on the outside and just reacting, which usually gets us into a deeper hole or a negative place and and results in something we have to go and clean up now. Um, When we check in and say, okay, hang on, what's going on in my inner life here? What's coming up? And objectively look at that and allow it the room to be so that then we can see it for what it is, yeah. um, which is just really a fleeting emotion. It's, it's typically uh, a fear that's brought up by our limbic system, right, that's there to protect us, but is it necessarily needed right now? We can let that pass, and then we can reground and respond. We're talking to... Hallie Bach, Life Incorporated, A Practical Guide to Wholehearted Living is what we are discussing. And it's funny, I have to tell you, I'm training my husband because he's a fabulous guy, but he's very reactive. If he breaks a dish or spills something, this 
you know, monster comes out. Oh my God, oh, this app. And then with my PTSD, that flips me out more than whatever it was that happened, you know? Absolutely, yeah. This week, he broke a wine glass and a mixing bowl. And, He's on a roll. And each time, he said, oh, darn, gee, that broke. I'm so sorry. Let me clean it up. And then looked at me and said, how am I doing? And I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> you're doing great because people, I know this is just one small, you know, way people are reactive. But people have a tendency to be okay with, you know, all that drama. And it's not good for your nervous system. No, it's not. It's not. In fact, you know, when I look out into the medical Community, there's a phenomenon known as adrenal fatigue. Yeah. We are, you know, not only do we pour caffeine down our throats, or, you know, a, a lot of us do, but living in that constant stress state where our day timers are filled up back to back and it's something, anything goes wrong, which this is why, so it will, uh, it doesn't know the script you've planned for it. You know, then our, our cortisol levels go up, our adrenals kick in, and we begin to wear out all those systems, yeah. um, which can lead to some really long term difficult health issues. So 10 things every night. All right, where can we find more about you, your book, your practice? I'm sure you've got a great resource for us somewhere. Absolutely. So lifeincorporated.co, that's lifeincorporated.co. There's a website. I usually publish articles beyond the book because, you know, life lives on beyond just 300 pages in a book. And on the website as well are all the the exercises that are within the book um, because it really is a practical guide. I'm going to take you through a lot of exercises so you can ground this and make it your own. And you'll find all of those downloadable if you don't want to write your book. All right. Holly Buck. Final words, final inspiration for us? Be brave. Be very brave. Be brave. Be very brave. That's a perfect thought for the day. See you next week. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey and Ella's Leash Production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at caseyradio.com. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show next Sunday morning from 100.7 WHUD.